I love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer and my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised, and I am saved from my enemies. For who is God but the Lord, and who is a rock except our God? The God who equipped me with strength and made my way blameless. He made my feet like the feet of a deer and set me secure on the heights. He trains my hands for war so that my arms can bend a bow of bronze. You have given me the shield of your salvation and your right hand has supported me and your gentleness made me great. You gave me a wide place for my steps under me and my feet did not slip. The Lord lives and blessed be my rock and exalted be the God of my salvation. The God who gave me vengeance and subdued peoples under me, who rescued me from my enemies. Yes, you exalted me above those who rose against me. You delivered me from the man of violence. For this I will praise you, O Lord, among the nations and sing to your name. Great salvation he brings to his king and shows steadfast love to his anointed to David and his offspring forever. Psalm 18, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Nathan, for that um, reading. It's great to be uh, together, as everyone keeps saying, because it is just so good uh, to be together. Um, It is right that we are meeting today, and so thank you for for coming out and being so cooperative and and wearing masks and following all the protocol. It, It really is a privilege that we're here, and Obviously, we want to honor one another as we gather and uh, do so in a safe way because we want to continue to do so um, and uh, want to continue to see the Lord um, bless uh, his church as we share our gifts, as we build one another up in love. If you're with us last week, Will Kynes, my friend, was here. He did a fantastic job uh, preaching on Psalm 22, which is a psalm of lament. And I just, I was kind of blown away. I mentioned this last week, but I was really blown away by the moment. Uh, Last weekend, um, and and really obviously, you know, for three months now, has been a heavy time. But last weekend in our city in particular was a very heavy weekend. And, you know, this is a sermon series that we planned, you know, last August. And for last weekend to be for us just a time to reflect on Psalm 22, to let the, the psalmist do the work for us, just to let the word of God minister to us in that time uh, was so good and right for our congregation. I'm so grateful for Will and the job he did on Monday night as we walked through the book of Job. Uh, And even this week, and I just want to encourage you in this, I don't know if you use the Rhythms Guide. We have a little daily Bible reading plan. Um, And if you have a Bible reading plan that you use, just keep using that. I don't want to throw you off, but if you don't, this is a really, really helpful guide. It it always kind of goes along with the sermons um, and I was just sharing this morning, you know, this week reading through the, every, every day this week we had a psalm of lament or a part of psalms of lament. And it was really helpful for me, I think, just to, you know, it, when, when you face kind of a heavy year where there's problems to be solved, there's sadness all around you and you're seeing this, you know, as a leader, kind of my nature is just to kind of get busy. Okay, we got problems to solve. This is actually a really good week for me even in just reading in these psalms, to kind of be sad for a little while. And it was very helpful and soothing. Um, and so anyway, I, I just would kind of put a plug in uh, for this. And then this week, of course, we'll be 
reading some psalms of praise. As Blake mentioned, we're, we're kind of moving into the psalms of praise. Um, I, as, I, as, I said, as Blake said, we didn't re- really get to introduce this series um, last week, but I love the psalms. And if you uh, are new to the faith and you've never really uh, jumped into the psalms, if the, these haven't been a big part of your life, I, I can't urge you more strongly than to make the regular reading of the psalms just kind of a part of your rhythm. Actually, in our rhythms guide, we we have our Bible readings, and even when we're not reading in the psalms, we have a, a psalm that you can be praying through just to kind of make that a regular part of your diet. It's been said, and I think this is a really helpful thing, while most of the Bible is written to us, okay, so a lot of the Bible is instruction or narrative that is edifying to us, the Psalms are actually written for us. We need the Psalms. We need these words to be able to express ourselves to one another, to be able to express ourselves back to the Lord, right? As we've just been talking about, it's hard when you're in a season of lament, when you're really feeling sadness to know exactly how to express that. It's hard when your friend is in a season of lament that maybe you don't really understand, right? It's hard to identify with them. These Psalms can help you do that. The same way, it's, it's sometimes you know you should be grateful, but you're just not, and you don't know how to express your gratitude, and the Psalms can be helpful for that. There's times when you're really angry, and you don't know what to say, and there's Psalms that actually can speak into that. I don't know if you knew that. In fact, next week, uh, we're going to be in Psalm 58, which is a prayer to God to break the teeth of the enemies of the psalmist, to tear out their fangs and to let them be blunted, to vanish them, okay? And I'm sure you thought to yourself, I didn't even know we were allowed to say such things in church. But here it is in Psalm 58. We'll look at that next week. But today I want to look at the Psalms of praise. Now, you might be thinking, hold on, Jason, a little bit of a hard right turn here. I mean, we went from Psalms of lament, and now we're here in the Psalms of praise, uh, but I, I do want to say the Psalms of Praise, when you rightly understand them, it's, it's not just this happy, clappy thing. Um, there is some of that. There, there is expression of joy and happiness. But, but that's not all that praise is. And, and so what I want to do today as we kind of jump into this is answer a couple of questions, and then we'll spend a, a longer time with the third big question here. So the first, the first question I want to answer is, what is praise? What is praise? And the idea of praise is, is really the expression of admiration. It's, it's to recognize the worth or value of something or of someone and to express your admiration for it. It's to recognize things that are true about God and to make them known. And, and we see this in this passage. Again, sometimes, again, that, that is done with this great joy or great delight uh, but sometimes not, and we'll, we'll look at that more as we, we get further into this. But look at verse 2 and 3. It says, the Lord is my rock and my fortress, my deliverer, right? You, you, you're recognizing what, what the psalmist is doing here. He's, he's seeing things that are true about God. My rock in whom I take refuge, my shield, the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I call upon this Lord who is worthy of praise, and I'm saved from my enemies. You see what he's doing here? He's recognizing things that are true of God. He is a rock. He is a refuge. He is a shield. He is the horn of 
my salvation. Throughout the psalm, we see this psalmist doing this, recognizing what is true of God. He is the one who hears. He's the one who sends help. Verse 6, we see, in my distress, I called upon the Lord. To my God, I cried for help. From his temple, he heard my voice. Verse 8, he is the one who whose anger is always righteous. Smoke went up from his nostrils in response to my oppression and devouring fire from his mouth, glowing coals flamed forth from him. Verse 17, he's the rescuer. He rescued me from my strong enemy and from those who hated me for they were too mighty for me, but he rescued me. He is our strength. He trains my hands for war, verse 34, so that my arms can bend the bow of bronze. He is the righteous judge, for you equipped me with strength, verse 39, for battle. You uh, made those who rise up against me sink under me. They were judged rightly. You cared for the one that you delighted in. And then, of course, this responds with praise, verse 49, for this I will praise you, O Lord, among the nations and sing to your great name, right? See, this is praise. This is praise. It's a recognition of something that is true of God. He is a rock. He is a fortress. He is a stronghold. He is the righteous judge. He is the one. And, and again, it, it, it's, not just, it's not just positive things too. We, we, we can look at, at God's righteous judgments of those who are evil and say, God is good. God is the one who will always bring righteous judgment. Even God's anger in some cases when it is obviously directed rightly, of course, God's anger is always rightly directed, is worthy of our praise. It's a recognition of who God is, of his worth, of his value, and we speak toward that. But the second question then that I want to look at is, who do we praise? Who do we praise? Now, I know you're thinking, I think I know the answer to this one. Uh, I think I can get this one right. Um, but I want to spend a little time here because I think we kind of miss this uh, oftentimes in our kind of evangelical Christian world. One of the things that Matt Papa and I have talked about uh, a good bit is a lot of our at least singing of praise is very kind of self-centered, right? It, 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 a lot of times we spend a lot of time singing, and there's nothing wrong with this intrinsically, so I'm not, I'm not necessarily knocking these songs, but I, I don't think that they're complete. A lot of what we sing in, in church culture is what we will do, right? We will praise you. We will do this. Or it's what God has done for us. And, of course, we see this in this psalm. It's not wrong to do. God, you have done this for me. Or it could be how God has made me feel. You know, he has made me glad, right? He has done these things for me. And, again, there's nothing intrinsically wrong with emotional response to God. In fact, that is good. That is right. That is a biblical response to God. But it's just not complete, right? You can't always trust your emotions when it comes to how you respond to God. If, if all of your faith, if all of your relationship with God is based on a feeling toward God or, or based on a current feeling about the things that God has done for you, your faith is going to be a roller coaster ride. When things are good, you're feeling good, your faith will be strong. When things are not so good, your faith is going to be weak. This is a danger. And again, I think this is a danger in kind of the current moment that we're in. You know, Paige and I, 
we, we, we laugh at this, and it, we just feel really old, what, what I'm about to say. We've both kind of been involved in strategic ways in ministry for about 20 years. I can't believe I'm saying that, right? 20 years is a good length of time. It's a good time for people's lives to be tested a little bit. And, and both of us have recognized people that we have known who there were times in their life where their faith seemed so strong and they were so excited. But as we've kind of walked with them or seen them or befriended them, a lot of that was based on kind of the emotion of the moment. And, and we've seen a lot of those folks who maybe were involved in ministries that were, were a little emotional or that were very experiential. We've seen a lot of those folks today, years later, kind of embittered toward the things of the Lord. They, they feel as if they've been manipulated by these experiences. And again, there's nothing wrong with emotion. In fact, this is a good and biblical thing. But I do think it's not complete, right? And, and, it, and, and if your praise is focused on kind of an emotion or a feeling and not on the character of God, it's going to feel great when things are great. But it's going to leave you maybe angry or bitter or kind of empty when things fail, when the card when the cards crumble. And so I, I, I hope, I pray, I ask the Lord even now that we would be a church that, that's anchored less in kind of our, what God has done for us, even though we want to remember those things, but anchored more in just who God is and what he is doing in the world and how we, even if it means, even if it means our lament, even if it means our pain in what he is doing and carrying out. So again, there are times when we need Psalm 18. This is a psalm of delivery. The psalmist has been delivered. He has been delivered from his enemy, and he's excited about that, and that is right. But there's also times for, for example, Psalm 103, where the psalmist is spent, and he has to command his soul to bless the Lord. He has to command his heart to remember the benefits of the Lord. Because again, our praise is not about us, it's about God. Who do we praise? Who is the focus of our praise? Who is the anchor of our praise? It is the Lord. Third question, you know, it's a little more time here, is how do we praise the Lord? And there's actually a lot of insight in this passage kind of about the how of a life of praise of a whole life of praise. And this is one of the things that I love about this passage. There's so much here. I actually even struggled in preparing this sermon because I just kind of didn't know what way to go with this. There's so much in this text, uh, and there's just so many different directions that we could run together today. Uh, but but in, in, in an effort to try to kind of grab the whole thing, uh, let me kind of give you a couple of things to think through as we do this. Th this is one of these passages that really encompasses the whole of the Christian life. It's, it's why, as I said before, you, you need the Psalms. You, you need the Old Testament. I, I, I just want to reaffirm something that Will said last week. There is a rawness 
There is an intensity in the Old Testament writings that are so good for the Christian life. I don't think you can understand Christianity without the Old Testament. You will understand it wrongly at least. Because there's something to the Christian life that is on display over and over and over again in places like Psalm 18, in places like the life of Job, in places like the book of Genesis or Exodus or all throughout the Old Testament stories. I love the name of Israel. Will, I think I mentioned this a couple weeks ago, and Will mentioned it last week. It seems to keep coming up. The name Israel, God changed Jacob's name to Israel. The name means the one who wrestles with God. And just to kind of create a right expectation of the Christian life for you, I think that's probably what the Christian life is like. The one who wrestles with God. The one who wrestles with God. There will be times when you don't understand what God is doing. There will be times where the most righteous thing for you to do is to question God. And that's a righteous thing. We see that in our Lord Jesus, who says, if there's any other way, would you let this cup pass from me? There are times when the most righteous thing you do actually is to express your anguish to the Lord. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We see our Lord Jesus do this. And of course, there's times when the most righteous thing you do is to lift up your voice in praise and to commune with God all night long. We see this in our Lord Jesus. But in all of this, there is a right kind of praise. And I want to talk to you about all that that means. So as I kind of walk through this, the whole of the Christian life, the first thing that we see in this passage that I think speaks to really what it is to be a Christian is the call of man. Look at verse 4 with me. The call of man. It says, the cords of death encompassed me. The torrents of destruction assailed me. The cords of Sheol entangled me. The snares of death confronted me. In my distress, I called to the Lord. To my God, I cried for help. If you are a Christian, there is this moment. You have had a moment like this and many moments like this in your life where you have you have felt the weightiness of this life. You, you have realized your weakness before God. The, you've realized that you face death and you, there's nothing you can do about it. There, there is a realization that you face Sheol, the, the cords of Sheol, the cords of judgment have entangled you because of your sin, and there's nothing you can do about it because death is coming. There is a desperation that is necessary in the Christian life, and here's the deal. That desperation, this is not, I am glad in the Lord, but this is praise. This is the praise of desperation. I am calling out to God in my desperation. And why am I calling out to him? Because he's the only one that can help me. He's the only one that I know can answer. He is the only one that can make this right. This is the call of God. I, I, you've heard me say this before, but the Christian life is this. It's realizing that you have offended and sinned against the almighty God of the universe and then running right back to that God that you have sinned against for help. That is Christianity. That is the grace that we see in the gospel. And this is the call of man. But the second thing we see in this passage, second place of praise is when we see the answer of God. Now, this is a big answer. From his temple, he heard my voice, verse 6. 
And my cry to him reached his ears. The earth reeled and rocked. The fountains also, the mountains trembled and quaked because he was angry at the injustice, at the, at the pain that his beloved was showing, the anointed was experiencing. Smoke went up from his nostrils, nostrils and devouring fire from his mouth. Glowing coals fray, fr- flamed forth from him. He bowed the heavens and came down. Thick darkness was under his feet. He rode on a cherub and flew. He came swiftly to the wings of the wind. He made the darkness his covering, his canopy around him, thick clouds and dark water out of the brightness before him. Hailstones and coals of fire broke through the clouds. The Lord also thundered in the heavens. And the Most High uttered his voice, hailstorms and coals of fire, and he sent out his arrows and scattered them, and he flashed forth lightning and routed them. Then the channel of the sea were seen, and the fountains of the world were laid bare. At your rebuke, O Lord, at the blast of the breath of your nostrils. This is the answer of the Lord. The Lord hears the call of his beloved. Now, what is going on in this passage what is going on in this passage? Is this really the Lord demonstrating himself in this kind of big, visible way? Maybe, but more likely, the psalmist knows that this really is the reaction of the Lord. This is the answer of God. God hears the cry of the oppressed. He hears the cry of the ones he loves, and he answers. Now, most of the time, though, We don't get to see lightning and hailstorms and coals being cast down from the sky. But I just want you to hear this. As you cry out to the Lord, he answers. He is answering you. God is at work. He has answered our cry for help in salvation. And guess what? Lightning and hailstorms and and his fury was brought forth, yet it was brought forth on his own son, Jesus in place of our sins so that we could be rescued. But he has answered our call. For those those who he loves, God will answer. Are you experiencing injustice or pain or sorrow now? God is answering. He will answer. God is going to make all things right and all things new, and his judgments will come with no less fury than what we see described here. But most of the time, most of the time, our awareness of his answering is very subtle. It actually takes us being quiet. It actually takes the discipline of being still. It actually takes the discipline of continued prayer. It actually takes the discipline of continued Bible study. And then all of a sudden you start to see, oh, God really is at work. God really is moving. I do see the hand of the Lord at work in this. This has been a weird year as we all know. Um, But as I've meditated on it and prayed about it, um, I've even seen in the weirdness, in the midst of all of these things that I don't understand, the hand of God doing things, right? Yeah, I believe that one of the results of the coronavirus, I don't know, um, I don't know all this. I don't don't have it all worked out. You know, I don't have like a math equation where I can show you how this is going to happen. But I think that one of the things that God is doing is he's bringing a purification to his church. I believe that that's happening. I can't explain that. And again, in all of this, I don't want in any way to discount the real pain and death and sorrow that we experience 
because of a fallen and diseased-filled world, but I believe that God is working and that his church is rising and the things that actually I've prayed for and that you've prayed for are being answered. Not in the way that I would do it, <laughs> but God is at work. He is answering. I talked to a guy not too long ago. He's, he's been experiencing anxiety over his work for years. And he said, you know what? For the first time ever, this coronavirus has made me stop long enough and rest enough. And for the first time ever, I'm overcoming this anxiety. The idol of work that has gripped my heart for all these years is finally losing its grip. The Lord is answering in the most peculiar and weird way. You know, this time of racial injustice right now, I was actually having a conversation this morning with a friend who is so hurt, who's so discouraged over this, this whole scenario. And I just said to her, I said, look, I believe that God is speaking. And if people will listen, and I pray that we as a church will listen, we'll come out on the other side of this a more whole society, a more just society. And, and the, those prayers for justice and those prayers for wholeness and those prayers for shalom in this way are being answered. The Lord is answering. And as we recognize this, again, oftentimes we don't, we don't, one day when we're in heaven, one day on the other side of this, we'll look back at all the answered prayers of God and it'll look like this. It'll look like a hailstorm. It'll look like fire from the sky. It'll be like, oh, Obviously, that's what God was doing. Of course, we see it now. But now, it, now it's harder to see. It, it, takes, it takes quiet. It takes stillness. It takes discipline. But the Lord is answering. But the third, and, as we, and as we recognize his answer, we praise him. But the third thing that we see is the salvation of God. Look at 16. This is what God has done for us. He has saved us. He's rescued us. He sent from on high. He took me. He drew me out of many waters. He rescued me from my strong enemy and from those who hated me, for they were too mighty for me. He confronted me in the day of my calamity, but the Lord was my support. He brought me into a broad place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. I, lo I love it. Some of y'all that know me, I mean, this is the reason that I'm a Baptist, I love the imagery of water in the Bible. All throughout the scriptures, we have this imagery of drowning, drowning, drowning. And I love this imagery here. What is it? It's the same imagery. God pulled me out of the waters. Water is always this picture of judgment, of death, drowning in the water. But God has pulled me out. And I love the imagery here. He put me on a plane. He put me on a level place. He put me so far away from the judgment of the waters. He's put me on a safe place. And this is exactly what God has done for you in Christ. If you are a believer, he's heard your cry for help. And he has sent you a rescuer in his son, Jesus, who has taken on the fury of God's disgust against our sin. And in him, in his righteousness, he has pulled you out and set you on a plane. Now, there's a part of this next passage here, verse 20, that when you first read it, it kind of makes you a little uncomfortable. Let me read it for you. It says, the Lord dealt with me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanness of my hands. 
he rewarded me. For I have kept the ways of the Lord and have not wickedly departed from God. For all his rules were for me and his statutes I did not put away from me. I was blameless before him and I kept myself away from guilt. So the Lord has rewarded me according to my righteous, according to the cleanness of my hands in his sight. <clears throat> now, if you're reading this and you're saying, okay, if we're supposed to see the way of God in this, and David is being rescued. David is being rewarded because he was blameless, because he was totally righteous. Then what hope do I have of being rescued? What, what hope do I have of being pulled out of the waters and put on the plane? Because I am not blameless. I am not righteous before the Lord. And here's the deal. Neither was David, right? Neither was David. I don't know how much David knew about the condition of his own soul when he was writing this, but God would eventually give David clarity to the condition of his heart. Chapters later in Psalm 51, we see this same David saying, my sin is ever before me. We see this same David saying, from my mother's womb, I was brought forth in iniquity. I have been sinful my whole existence. So if God dealt with David according to his righteousness, but David wasn't righteous, then why is David saved? Why does David get out of the water and put on the plane, put on the flat place? How does this work? And this is really important for you to understand. Some of you have heard, you've been told that the Old Testament, the Old Testament, you had the law, but in the New Testament, you have grace. Some of you have been told, in the Old Testament, you have works, but in the New Testament, you're saved by faith, right? You've been told this. You may believe this. Let me tell you a little secret, okay? Don't tell anybody I told you this, okay? All of the Bible is grace. All of the Bible is faith, right? It was grace that after Adam and Eve sinned, God didn't just blot them out right there, but he allowed them to stay alive and even made coverings for them. It was grace that God saved Noah among the sinful people and saved humanity. It was grace that God called his people out of Egypt and saved him, even though they'd basically forgotten about the things of God. And it was even God's grace that gave them the law. The law is grace. The law is God's guiding word to his beloved and chosen people. That's grace. All of the Bible is grace and all of the Bible is faith, right? This is what Hebrews 11 is all about. Abraham was saved how? Because of his faith. Moses was saved how? Because of his faith. And even David was saved how? Because of his faith. Now, with that said, you might be saying, well, what's all this righteousness stuff? The actions of these people aren't arbitrary. The actions of these people are rightly to be seen as evidences of their faith, right? How do you know that Abraham had faith in God? He obeyed God, 
right? He followed God away from his homeland into a place that God would show him. How do you know that Moses had faith in God? Well, because he obeyed God. He listened to the voice of God. He, he followed through to do the thing that God had told him to do. And how do we know that David had faith? Well, because he was pursuing righteousness. He was pursuing holiness. And God was delighted in this. But, but make no mistake, all of this is God's grace to David that is manifest to him because of David's faith and that David would be proven to be righteousness and proven to be blameless, not because of his own righteousness or because of his own blamelessness, but because eventually to come of the righteousness and blamelessness of Jesus. It was his faith and obedience that was pointing him to where real righteousness is found and where real blamelessness is found and where real salvation is found. And so I want to say this to you because the same, the same, the same is true for David, it's true for you. What's going to save you from the waters and put you on the plane? It's by looking to Christ, not looking to yourself. It's by finding yourself in the way of Christ, not in your own way, which brings me to the fourth point which is God's way or God's order. You know, I want to say this, David's action is not meaningless. His righteousness, quote unquote, is not meaningless. No, it's these things that actually prove that he was looking to the Lord. They were a sign of the faith that would ultimately save him. Look at even verse 33 and through uh, 35 with me. He said, he made my feet like the feet of a deer and set me secure on the heights. He trains my hands for war so that my arms can bend a bow of bronze. You've given me a shield of your salvation and your right hand supported me. I love this uh, line here. Your gentleness made me great. God is equipping him. He's using him. And, and look, look at verse uh, 39 with me. You equipped me with strength for battle. You made those who rise against me sink under me. You made my enemies turn their backs to me. And those who hated me, I destroyed. You see what's happening here? God is, in God's plan, God's will, he was going to destroy the enemies of David. David was his beloved. David was his delight. But who does God use to bring about their destruction and undoing? He uses David. David actually becomes the instrument that God uses to bring about relief for David. This is really an amazing passage that's going on here and David's recognition of this. And, and this, is, this is the Christian life. I hope you understand this. Before you became a Christian, you were writing the story of your own life, right? Before you became a Christian, you were saying, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this, and then I'll be happy, right? Now, some of you, I don't want to say this, some of you are still here today. You're here today, and you're still writing the story of your own life. You're just here to get some wisdom along the way. Or you're just here to acknowledge God along the way so he will bless you, right? If that is true of you, and it may be true of you today, I just want to say to you lovingly and in gentleness, you're not a Christian. You're only a Christian when you give up on the pen, when you, when you release the writing of the story, 
When, when you say, I'm, Sheol has entangled me. Death is around me. I am helpless. I need someone to save me, to lift me up out of this and find yourself in the story that God is writing. That's saving faith. When you realize that my way is empty, I, I can't just, I'm not just asking God to help me along the way, but no, I'm finding myself in his story. I am finding my identity in what he is doing. And when that happens, Christian obedience goes from being some duty that you do so God will bless your story to a delight of this is God's way. Of course I would want to do this. This is God's design. It's better than my design. Christian community becomes more than these are just my church friends that I need to have around for some good influence. And it becomes these are God's people. I am one of these people. And thus, I must be in communion with them. Christian mission becomes I'm tired of Jason bothering me about volunteering in the children's ministry once a month, and I see purpose in the ways and the work of God. And of course, I want to be engaged in that. You see, This brings me to the final thing, and this is the praise of man. Of course, David's response to all this, when he finds himself in God's way, is praise. The Lord lives. And blessed be my rock and exalted be the God of my salvation, the God who gave me vengeance. Do you see what just happened? He says, God gave me vengeance, but what's happening here? He's the one that bent the bow. He's the one that, that trampled over them and subdued the peoples under me who rescued me from my enemies. He's finding himself carrying out the will of God. Yes, you exalted me above those who rose against me. You delivered me from the man of violence. For this I will praise you, O Lord among the nations and sing to your name. Great salvation he brings to his king and shows steadfast love to his anointed, to David and his offspring forever. I did a wedding this weekend in Charleston, or it was actually on Thursday, and uh, it was Shelby Ward and Colin Devaney. Anybody know Shelby and Colin? They're awesome. Yeah, I'm sure they're on their honeymoon right now. But anyway, um, the wedding was in Charleston, and, and it was a really special wedding. It was kind of a Corona-style wedding. You know, it was like 15 people. Um, but it was awesome. It was really sweet. I just really felt honored to be a part of it. And they loved Charleston. They, they loved Charleston. They wanted to get married in Charleston. They loved Charleston. And there's a lot of reasons for that. But one of the reasons for that, and I'm not trying to sell Colin out here, but one of the reasons they love Charleston is uh, they both love the movie The Notebook, Okay. <laughs> And the notebook's a great movie, you know. I, I, I actually, this is a little bit of an aside. I didn't cry from the time I was in high school until my wedding day, okay? And it was about like five or six years into this, and I realized, man, I haven't cried in like five or six years. And so I watched the movie The Notebook one night, thinking like, all right, this was it. This is going to do it for me. And I didn't cry, and I was really... I was really disappointed. But then, then I got married, and then I had da a daughter, and basically I cry every day now. But anyway, um, anyway, though, the notebook, okay? 
They both love this movie. And so they got married there. In fact, they did the whole, like, remember the scene? Uh, the theater is in Charleston where they have the, like, marquee where they lay it on the road. You remember the scene? I would kind of forgot it, but I remember now what they told me. And they did all these kind of, like, notebooky kind of things, right? Because they love the movie, right? This is really what the Christian life is like. It's, it's realizing there is this story. It's the best story that makes sense of everything. And, and in this story, there is like a completion and a wholeness. Imagine yourself like having a story like that. You just love. It's like the perfect story. It's right. It's good. So, you know, far better than, you know, even Nicholas Sparks can write, right? And then realizing as you fall in love with this story, realizing that you are actually in the story. It would be like Shelby realizing, oh, I'm actually Allie. <laughs> I'm actually in this thing. And God's love that I see so clearly for David here is actually directed toward me too. <laughs> I am the beloved of God. I am the one that God has rescued. I am the one that God has put on a high place. I am the one that God desires to use. I'm in the story. That's this life. You're in this story. You're actually in the story right now. You're in this story right now, the story of God's greatness and glory that he is telling. And look, here's the deal. You're either going to find yourself in this story through faith as one he delights in, or you're going to keep writing your own story and end up as his enemy in the story. You're either going to be with him in this story, praising him, living for his glory, or you're going to be his enemy in this story. And I believe that Christian praise, real Christian praise, comes from that moment when you realize, oh, <laughs> this is me. I'm the, I, this is me. I am in this. And if that's happened, then, man, and on your worst day, on your worst day, when, it's, when, it's the, when the worst things happen to you, you can praise God because you're in the story. You're a part of God telling of his greatness. You're telling the story. And on your best day, you can praise God. And when you think of all that God has done for you, you can praise God. And when you think of all that God is doing through you, you can praise the Lord. You're in the story. So I want to invite you as we close to be in the story. So go ahead and everybody stand. We're going to sing. And I want you to sing, if you're in Christ, like you're in this story. Like this moment right now is actually important for the sake of the glory of God being known throughout all of time and throughout all of history, because here's the deal. This moment right now is important for those things. And I also want to invite you, if you've never seen yourself as part of this story here, if, if what I'm saying right now is, is maybe pricking something in your heart, but you have questions, I would love the opportunity to pray with you, to talk with you. And I'll be standing just right here in the back behind these doors as we sing now. But let me pray for us as we close, and then we'll sing. Father, the call of man is this. We are desperate. We are done. There is nothing that we can do about our own sin. There is nothing that we can do about death. There is nothing that we can do about the justice that we deserve. But Father, 
you have answered. You've sent your son Jesus and you have brought us a great salvation, the greatest salvation. Not just a salvation where our sin is put away from us, but a salvation where we are also given the perfect and complete righteousness of Christ. And Father, it's not just that kind of a salvation. It's a salvation where you actually invite us in to be about your bidding, to do the things that, Lord, you are doing in this world and in this universe. And so, Lord, may we in obedience find ourselves there and praise you for these things. Give us a heart of praise. Help us to recognize things that are true about you and to express them now as we sing. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'll be in the back if you want to pray as we, as we sing together.